Hey everyone, welcome again to the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clint McCormick, and with me is Sean Murphy. Sean, how are you doing? Good, man. We made it. We finally uh, got through all of quote unquote season one. Yes, we have or season made one it, and two. Sorry, we have made it to the end of what is officially known as Batman the Animated Series. Uh, so we may as well stop at the one yard line and just end the episode here and say thanks for everything and <laughs> shut the whole show down. No, man, we got Batman Beyond to get to as well as a bunch of That's movies. That's true. Unfortunately, when I was doing the Prisoner podcast, that happened mm-hmm. unintentionally because Wes and I did the entire original series of The Prisoner, and then we did two episodes covering the remake that they did. It was like uh-huh. six episodes, so we did three episodes of the show per episode of the podcast. And... Uh, I just lost the audio for the second half of the remake, so we never oh. finished it. So we kind of, <laughs> we kind of unfortunately pulled up right at the end end of the uh, end of the show. But fortunately, it's, I guess nobody listened to it anyway. So, you know, it's funny because I listened to those um, a couple years ago. I was just bored and lonely, and I'm like, ah, I miss Clay's voice, so I put it on. <laughs> and I've never seen the prisoner, so I have this weird like visual in my mind that must be bouncing ball yeah. on a british island with a with a bunch of guys named after numbers yeah that must be a very <laughs> fascinating uh mental image you've created of that show <laughs> yeah. i would love to you know uh years ago jack kirby uh tried to get a prisoner comic off the ground and he did maybe like half an issue or a full issue or something uh, mm-hmm. So it's the prisoner through Jack Kirby's eyes, and he he mm. he knew the show, so he was working off what the show looked like. I would love to see a drawing of what you think the prisoner is, based on just listening <laughs> to our podcast. You know, um, I ran, I did an experiment with myself once. I don't know why, because I'm a psycho. I went on to Netflix. I picked a series I'd never seen, The Shield. Mm-hmm. I went to a random season. I clicked on a random episode, and I played it without looking at it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the characters look like, any of the actors. And I would listen to that episode uh, once a day for an entire week until I could, like, I knew the whole episode uh, audio only. And then I watched it to see how close I was to what the hell I was looking at. Mm. And it was really, it was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I sure what imagine. I really learned there other than that I'm a psycho. That's, that's an interesting experiment. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I did something not. I mean, it's not exactly like that, but um, I remember getting the soundtrack to Kill Bill Volume 2 before I saw the movie, and I loved the soundtrack, and I listened to it a million times, and so I had a very specific idea of where I thought these songs would be used in the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was wrong on all of them, (laughs) and when I saw the movie and I saw the use of the songs, I was like, eh, yeah, okay. Not what I was expecting, yeah. but I guess this works too. So it was very strange yeah. because, you know, you're going off of what you know from the first movie and then these yeah. other songs, songs and what do you think they're going to mean and where do you think they're going to fall at certain like crescendos and whatnot. And I was yeah. just like completely off. Yeah, man. It's, Kill Bill is one of my favorite Tarantino flicks. I know it's not usually on people's top five or whatever, but uh, for me, uh, yeah, I think that series, that those movies did a lot right. Yeah, definitely. It's it's also a really interesting um, kind of like line drawn in his career where he goes mm-hmm. from uh, fairly light on violence to just mm-hmm. high on violence up to 11, basically everything after that. Yeah, you know, there were, I heard someone say the reason that they switched to black and white in volume one during the 
the battle with the 88 keys is because there was so much blood yes. that they couldn't get a decent rating. Yeah. But then I heard that he did that artistically just because he wanted to as a nod to you know whatever deep cut film he was into. I'm not sure what the truth is, honestly, to this day. And I don't even know, for that matter, if he thought to have it released all as one giant movie or if the studio forced him to do it as two two installments. Mm. Well, the, I will say the reason that I've never bought that movie on any uh, format is because mm. I have... Uh, I have just been uh, endlessly waiting for the deluxe edition where they put them together as one long movie, but that uh-huh. I don't think that's ever going to come out. I think it might exist in Japan. It's been 15 years, man. I think it's time to wave the white flag. <laughs> hey, you know, guy can dream, can he? Yeah. Anyway. And uh, speaking of strong female characters, yes. as in uh, nice Beatrice, segue. let's talk about Babs. Yeah, we're talking about, uh, we're going to talk about one episode because this damn show is odd numbered uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about john wayne for another 30 minutes dude oh my god (laughs) yeah i'm here for it i I wrote a list of all the right now um uh we're gonna talk about the final episode which is batgirl returns and then we're gonna do kind of like a reflection on the entire series as well as we can um because we are like i said we are at the end of what is known as batman the animated series and everything kind of changes moving into season f- what is on the dvd season four where they change it right. changes over to the new batman adventures so yep we'll take a quick break and then we'll jump into batgirl returns batgirl returns written by michael reeves and Bryn stevens directed by dan reba and in this one while Bruce is in Europe on a Wayne Enterprises business trip, the theft of a Jade Cat statue occurs at Gotham State University. Barbara Gordon again becomes Batgirl to investigate, only to run into Catwoman, who is also investigating, pointing out that the acid residue used to destroy the security system is not her style. The two team up to find the statue, with Robin tailing them, and things go from bad to worse when Roland Daggett is revealed to be involved. I have to say, for, mm-hmm. for the Wikipedia write-up, that bit about the acid is a very specific plot point. They usually don't get into it that much. Um, yeah. yeah, so... I wonder how many people wrote all of those Wikipedia entries. If I don't know. It's like know. three guys fighting over who has the final word on each episode. Yeah, and I, I've never completely figured out exactly who has domain over what stays on a Wikipedia page. So Richard Dawkins tested this out once, because when Wikipedia was new, he thought it was bullshit how is this possibly going to work mm-hmm. so he went to evolution because he knows a lot about that he changed one word from does to does not and just to see how how you know that would completely change the meaning of the science in the sentence mm-hmm. and he sat back and he waited to see how long someone corrected it and it was like three hours wow yeah that's amazing yeah i don't know if you get like flagged if someone alters your uh entry or what but uh it's a pretty amazing system like whenever i look at wikipedia i generally think it's 90 percent accurate mm-hmm. yeah he i bet he probably would have thought it was bullshit even more if he had noticed that the wikipedia page for evolution is way <laughs> shorter than the wikipedia page for like sonic the hedgehog <laughs> is that true <laughs> i don't think so but i i do remember i do remember looking up some like obscure comic book event once years ago and yeah. the length of entry on the Wikipedia page was like longer than the Battle of Gettysburg or something like that. Yeah. It was like I couldn't I couldn't believe how much depth they had gone into on something like yeah. this versus something that was real. I can 
believe it. But, you know, scientists are nerdy in the same way, just about different things. And they love to have notes and references to previous articles. Like, sure. You have to do that in science. When you're a fanboy who loves Knuckles and Sonic, you don't necessarily need to cite everything correctly. <laughs> but they do. They always do. If for some, yeah. it's, they, will, they will put the deepest of deep cuts in if they can, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so Batgirl. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I was, I, I've been in season three, I was kind of surprised that they only used Batgirl twice. Because yeah. it seems like such a interesting addition to the show, and mm-hmm. um, the episodes we've watched this season have there's there've been some ones that have been kind of meh, but there've been some mm-hmm. ones that have been really good. And it's it seemed I'm it, it feels like Batgirl would be a, a nice infusion of of new stuff to kind yeah. of to got go with. So it surprises me a bit that they um they yeah. they begin they, begin the season they end the season with her. Yeah, like rather than the episode with those free frat boys wearing yeah. coyote masks, why didn't they just do another Batgirl? Or cool. make that a Batgirl episode. I mean, Batgirl versus uh, Batgirl who's not oh, yeah. not who's like in college versus uh, three yeah. college dipshits. That would be good. At the time, you you said this would be a great Robin alone episode. Yeah. but Robin and Batgirl alone is is great too. Yeah, I I do have to say, <laughs> my favorite part of this episode is the weird like stand-in shot of bruce wayne they do in europe that they shoot like <laughs> like an episode of a tv show where the lead actor was off doing a movie so they can't show they have to use the stand-in so they can only like yeah. shoot over the shoulder from behind it's yeah. a cartoon it doesn't matter it look, it, but it, it looks green screen it looks totally cheap it does it looks like they hired bruce wayne to come in for a, or didn't want to interrupt his actual vacation it's hilarious it's really funny <laughs> and it's really strange a strange choice for a cartoon where none of that stuff matters but i hope that was on purpose yeah um what do you think about because this was the first time i ever thought about batman and batgirl mm-hmm together because she has it starts out with this fantasy where she imagines that she's almost about to kiss bruce wayne Mm -hmm. after she saves his ass or whatever what do you think about that um i don't have a problem with batgirl having a crush on batman i have a big problem with batman reciprocating that crush (laughs) (laughs) like i i I think the beginning scene is is great I, i like that flashback a lot i like that it gets broken up by uh shithead dick grayson outside of her window um (laughs) But I, under no circumstances, would I be okay with Batman and Batgirl having a relationship. Yeah, I mean, what what movie was that where it started out where they banged on the roof? Oh, uh, the Killing Joke cartoon. Yeah, it was a rewrite. Um, a comic book. Two comic book writers rewrote. No. It's. Uh, I think Azzarello added that stuff in. Yes, he wrote or, the cartoon. Yeah. So I thought he was helping Frank Miller write something too. Is that a different thing? That completely? was. Dark Knight 3. Oh, yeah, the book. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's when Frank Miller looked like he might not make it because he had some severe health problems, and then luckily he bounced back. Um, but yeah, Brian Azzarello was like the guy that was swooping in and helping properties for a while, you know? Um, and then he took Killing Joke, and he added this whole scene that isn't in the book where Batman and Batgirl basically have sex on the rooftop. Is that correct? Yes, and then Batman ghosts her, and she gets so mad that she quits being Batgirl. I don't remember that in the comic. No, no, none of that <laughs> happens in the comic. The first half an hour of that yeah. of that cartoon is, is all new stuff, yeah. and none of it actually has any bearing on the actual Killing Joke story. You know, what drives me nuts in comics is when they get two characters romantically involved, and they don't earn it. Mm, you know, it's yeah. 
It's basically what amounts to a barroom discussion. Hey, hey, what do you think if, like, Batman made out with Batgirl? Do you think they would, like, do it? Do you think they would, like, be together for a while? <laughs> like, it, it never really has much depth to it. It's sure. always just, like, bullshit you talk about while you're drunk. Um, whereas there is a serious case to be made for Catwoman because she's sort of set up that way. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, But, you know, even when I was playing with Harley and Batman having a... a friendship or maybe more i got a lot of resistance from people who were like i don't know i don't know but after like two volumes i'm starting to see people go like okay yeah you've led up to this for a while i think you might have earned it (laughs) yeah 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 i think um uh i I think the batgirl and batman thing is 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 much more the first version of what you're saying where it's like well not not only is it that that it's not earned but also it's just this weird power dynamic thing that is not comfortable at all yeah yeah, I agree but, with you. I think she might have a mild crush on Bruce, but I don't think he sees her that way at all. No, no, I would. And it was such a b- stabbing in the back of Commissioner Gordon, you know? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but I do I do really like the opening scene of this, where it is this sort of like, you know, uh, schoolgirl fantasy about saving Batman from from uh, Joker and Penguin yeah. and stuff. That That's great. Yeah. Um, and I do, do I, I didn't look it up. I was going to, but I forgot. Does Dick Grayson know that Barbara Gordon is Batgirl? Undisclosed. I know that I think they always they always shy away from actually answering that because Bruce does, right? Uh, it's revealed in the next season that he knew because he made it his business to know, but he never told Dick. Okay, I couldn't remember if at the end of the first Batgirl episode, the the understanding is that Batman knows um, that she's that Barbara is Batgirl, but Batgirl doesn't know that Bruce is Batman. But I can't. Yeah. I couldn't remember if Robin knew. So yeah, so I I, I mis, misspoke. So Batman, we find out in season four, Batman does know who she is. Mm-hmm. Robin does not. He never tells Robin. Uh, Gordon does not know that she's Batgirl, and it's unclear if she knows who Bruce Wayne is. No, wait, because in uh, the Sub Zero Deep Freeze movie we're about to watch. Mm-hmm. She's at like a gala that he's throwing at the mansion, and I think she seems to know that he's Batman at that point. But we'll have to find out. <laughs> okay. Well, the reason I ask is because if Dick Grayson does know that Barbara is Batgirl, he comes off way worse in this episode. Because <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> he's like really uh, he's like a friend and kind of jokey with her um, at the beginning yeah. when when they're in their civilian clothes. But once it turns into Robin and Batgirl, he turns into an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, he gets all angsty, and uh, he gets his anger towards Batman is combined with his his annoyance towards Barbara and the fact that they never really got together and the fact that she still pals around with Batman mm-hmm. and he doesn't sort of creates this wedge between them, I think is what happens. Going for, going forward in the series, you mean? Yeah, in season four. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's uh, he's a nice addition to this, even though I don't know if he's 100% necessary, but I do really mm-hmm. like uh, the Catwoman and Batgirl pairing. I think that works pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I do like the part where Catwoman's sort of playing along for a while, and you got a lot of the girl power stuff, and at the very end, she follows through with her word, but then exploits a loophole, where she goes, you know, I told you that I'd let them catch me, or I told mm-hmm. them, told you they, I'd let them take me away, I didn't say how far, or something like that. <laughs> to be fair, Barbara, Barbara really set herself up for that, because she, yeah. she says yeah. to Catwoman, known thief and liar, if I find out that you that you're lying to me you have to come clean and tell me the truth and she's like yeah yeah that's what i'll do 
I'll tell you mm-hmm. that I was lying, and then I'll turn myself in. Yeah, definitely, sure. I, yeah. yeah, I don't think she's got a lot to learn being a, being a superhero. Yeah, I, I would have added a thing at the end where it looks like Catwoman wins, but then you see that Barbara put a tracker on her because she knew she was going to do that, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of end the episode. The, the chase will continue type of thing. Yeah, I, I, don't, I actually don't mind the way it plays out because one of the things that I like about this episode is that um, Batgirl is not a fully formed superhero yet she's still f- pretty green um uh-huh. you can see in the the way that she deals with catwoman and also the uh the the fight that she gets into at the end she's mm-hmm. still needs some help here and there she's not a, a professional quite the way that robin is or the way the catwoman yeah. is and i and i appreciate that because i don't i don't like i like there being a bit of a learning curve for for the for a new character in, in a position like that mm-hmm. yeah um, to get to the end, the the scene that I would want to draw is probably the opening scene, because you have like three great villains there, or maybe there's four. You've got Batgirl, you've got Batman, you've got an almost kiss. Um, like if those are five pages of artwork, then you're gonna easily be able to sell those. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Those would be those would be great. Uh, that's a great scene to draw. It actually, I actually uh, much like the uh, the stand-in shot of Bruce Wayne in Europe. I thought that opening <laughs> scene was funny because it was. All of those famous villains, but they weren't mm-hmm. saying anything. They were yeah. all, you know, like we, we couldn't. <laughs> Budget wouldn't allow. Yeah, we couldn't get the voices to do this scene. So we're just going to have them like very, very silently creep up on Batman. Yeah. You must not be able to recycle previously recorded dialogue. Like what if you recorded, you have tidbits of Mark Hamill saying generic things. Could you have reused them in this and kind of hidden it a bit and not had to pay Mark Hamill? Well, I was I was actually wondering because uh, when Joker gets like punched out or whatever, he does make uh-huh. some noises. He goes like, you know, he makes some like groaning noises yeah. that yeah. did sound like Mark <laughs> Hamill. But I don't know if that was newly recorded groans or if maybe they just <laughs> cherry picked from from old stuff and maybe tossed it in there. Isn't there a Simpsons joke about this? Um there's a voice actor who did the Roadrunner, and he goes, Oh, uh, yes, yes. Fun fact, they only paid me to say meep once, yep. and then they redubbed it as meep meep, yep. or something like that. Yeah, that's one of the voices <laughs> for Itchy and Scratchy, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, I, that, that opening scene would be a lot of fun to draw. <laughs> and I actually would even like to draw through the completion of it, which is you know mm-hmm. where she gets pulled out and she is Barbara being woken up by Dick outside the window. Yeah, um, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, Barbara being woken up by Dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a much no different comic. How, and... how long we have to say Dick Grayson? I just it, the first thing that pops to mind anytime I hear his real name is a cock. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we were watching it, when we were watching it uh, uh, when she wakes up. Barbara goes, "Thanks, Dick." And my 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 girlfriend <laughs> chuckled because she was like, "Oh, I, it sounded like she was calling him a dickhead." Like, "Thanks, Dick." <laughs> yeah. Like, if I could go back in time to 1940 and go, you know, listen, let's not call him Dick. Let's just call him Peter. Trust me. <laughs> Something, anything other it's, than Dick. I mean, as far as names that double as, as, as cock names, that's more of a lateral move. But I guess it's not quite as... Uh... I know. Yeah, that's why I softened it, softened it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, same, the, same, uh, the same intent is there, yeah. Yeah, Peter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't work quite as well. Um, yeah, as far as stuff to draw, I, one of the things I, I actually, you're probably right. The, the most dynamic, one of the more dynamic scenes to draw is that I really like the sequence with, um, 
the initial sequence with Catwoman and, and uh, Batgirl meeting for the first time. I think you could yeah. do some cool stuff with that. But honestly, one of the the, uh, the scene that really stood out to me design wise was the mm-hmm. bar sequence when uh, Bat- yeah. Bat- uh, Batgirl and Catwoman go to the bar because it's so. Yeah. Um, minimalist it's all like yeah. shadows and just light you don't even really see the interior of the bar at all yeah they do a good job with that that's my second choice actually was that fight scene yeah i think that's probably what i would go for well you know because i don't yeah. the more backgrounds i don't have to draw the better it's funny like i i really like to draw bars if i have the time yeah you know and you're talking about drawing the taps drawing the labels different you know, whatever it is people sitting down like i don't mind it if i have time um but that being said, it is interesting that they found this like creative solution to do the impression of a bar without all the detail in it. You know, yeah, it does. It feels very comic booky in that way. It's like it's like an Alex Toth bar or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Eduardo Rizzo bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, you know, I've drawn how many bars have I drawn? Uh, maybe three or four at this point, mm-hmm. and I kind of. I, I don't really know where I stand as far as whether or not I like drawing them because uh, the thing that I actually hate drawing in bars are bottles because yeah the amount the amount or lack of detail you put into a bottle in the background really uh, is is uh, is a very abstract idea to for me to grab yeah. onto and if you screw it up the whole thing looks terrible. Yeah, you know, you either go all in on drawing every single label, which takes up half of your day, or you find a creative workaround. Right. Yeah, and if you like do one bottle on the bar that's not the right proportion to the other ones, it seems weird. And bottles actually yeah. like as shapes are more difficult to draw than you think they are. Yeah. So they're kind of kind of yeah. hard to speed through. <laughs> I usually go for glasses, like pint glasses sure. that are straight. Sure. And uh, I'll put my energy into the taps. And to um, the liquor bottles in the background because those are different sizes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'd rarely have I done a bar where it's like everyone is drinking Coors Light bottles and they have they're all in diminished perspective perfectly. <laughs> yes, you yeah. know. I also I also always uh, foreshorten or I should say don't foreshorten the bar enough. So when I lay it out, the bar, if you actually were to look at it in correct perspective, you know, if you were looking at it. From from the side, instead of perspective, the bar would be like twenty five feet long or or two hundred yeah. feet long. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's something yep. that that takes a little bit of uh, wrangling to get right as well. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, I had a glass, a pint glass called the Stack Deck, and it was a licensed item from Batman animated series or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it, and it just had the logo on it from this this episode. And, you know, three dishwasher cycles later, it was all wiped. And now it's just a blank glass, basically. Oh, um, that sucks. But it made me think about how interesting it would be to do a series called The Stack Deck. And it takes place in a bar, and it's through the eyes of the bartender who may or may not be working with Gotham City PD mm-hmm. to try to see what's going down on the street or whatever. I, I don't know. It could go a bunch of different ways. You have you have the ending, it turned out the bartender was actually Batman in disguise the entire time. <laughs> And then, yeah. which opens just a but, which at the end you go, oh, of course. But then you think about it and go, wait, was he, has he been working here for like three years? It's <laughs> his night job. <laughs> um, what did you, yeah. what did you think of the return of Roland Daggett? Um, oh yeah, I, I've always liked that character. I, uh, he always kind of, I always forget about him. 
Yeah, he I don't was, really have much to say. What do you think about it? I, I thought it was interesting just because uh, he actually he actually pulled from episode continuity more than they usually do. Like he uh, he referenced other stuff when when they got to the place. Yeah. Uh, Catwoman references that this is the place where uh, um, Daggett created the Clayface stuff and also the stuff that turned her into the cat person for that one episode. <laughs> Yeah, which it's uh, they don't they don't they tend oh, not yeah. to do that on this show. They don't really harken back to old episodes and and reference yeah. stuff like that. It's funny. Daggett really is an entrepreneur, entrepreneur interested in DNA interrupting uh, chemicals mm. in one way or another, right? Whether it's a virus or it's a clayface's putty or what, like that seems to be his. The very specific thing that he yeah. always invests in. <laughs> yeah, he's done it twice, and it's it's really blown up in his face both times. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a, a a movie to I think it's called uh, Rise of the Cat or Batwoman. Oh, or something. sure, sure, yeah, yeah. He and I don't remember that being very good, honestly, but I do remember him being in it. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I really like this guy. I hope he's gonna fix this movie, and he didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's also interesting because they uh, the the plot actually. It's the second time this season we've seen someone steal something from the museum and then blame it on Catwoman. Because uh, uh, oh yeah, Scarface did that with the with the uh, price yeah. priceless taxidermy animals. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I feel like Daggett's plan was a lot better though because he sold he stole something that was like objectively valuable. <laughs> yeah, instead of the taxidermied corpse of an extinct animal, which I feel like a very yeah. very small circle of people you can flip that to. Yeah, it is kind of specific. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything else unless you want to get into rating. Uh, yeah, we may as well. I think I think overall, um, this episode is really strong. I like this one quite a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say it was one of the best ever, but I, I thought it moved really well. I thought the character stuff was great. Mm-hmm. The uh, the pairing of Bat Batgirl and Catwoman I really enjoyed. Yep. Um. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's it's nice to see, a and maybe this is kind of setting the stage for the uh, season four because I can't. I, I feel like they do it more in that season. Maybe I'm misremembering, but it it's mm-hmm. nice to see an episode without Batman that real that doesn't feel like it really needs Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, Batgirl, Batgirl and Catwoman are two fully fleshed out characters that you can put in a story together and it will it will work. And then Robin is there also for you know accent and whatnot, but you don't you don't necessarily right. need Batman to be the linchpin of everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think I'm gonna go. I'm between a three and a four. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I love this one as much as you do, but I agree with all of the you know the things that you just said. I'm gonna maybe I'll go a high three or a low four. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna go four. because okay. um, I do. I, I think. Uh, I, I'm I'm again a little bit bummed that they didn't use her more in uh, in mm-hmm. this series, but uh, obviously yeah. I think she shows up a lot more in the in the next series. But yeah, she definitely does. Yeah, uh, but maybe it's, that's why I'm I'm sort of harsher on it is because like I have the recent recent memory I've watched season four and I know how much she's in it, so I don't feel like she's lacking. Oh sure, sure, yeah. But yeah, if you only are very familiar with these first three seasons, and yeah, I could see why you'd feel that way. Yeah, she's kind of not really utilized enough. And I also, I also mm. enjoy it because um, 
or I should say I also appreciate it because this is was not the last episode to air, but it was the last episode to be produced. And uh, I feel like they go out pretty strong for yeah. the for the series, which you know we can talk about that a little bit when we get into the the larger the larger look yeah. back. But uh, yeah, so um, you give it a high three. Yeah, yeah, yeah high maybe three. high three, low four. Yeah, I'll give it a four. Um, and that that's it. That does it for Batman the Animated Series. So we're gonna take a quick break, mm-hmm. and then when we come back, we will kind of look back on these three seasons and. I don't know. Probably, yeah. probably veer off and talk about something else very shortly. I have a uh, surprise uh, topic to talk oh, about. With oh, you that, okay. That came up through our texts recently, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. So I, I think I've got some things to fill this out a bit. <laughs> okay. Excellent. <laughs> Nothing I like more going into a radio show than surprise. So, all right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, do you want to start with your surprise topic? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's so hear it. I've, I've had this theory lately, and I hit you with it yesterday via text, where there's this, and it's something that I think you do, but I think we all do to some degree, so I, I didn't mean to like accuse you, but I feel like when something is, when a movie or a show is really, really, really good, mm-hmm. but not quite there, some people get really picky at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a, a show isn't supposed to be good, and it happens to be okay, People go to bat for it like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with something with the the uncanny valley between what's good and what's bad. Um, and the, uh, one example I'll give you is um, we were talking about um, Almost Got Him. Sure. And you were about to give it a four, and I, I fought you hard on, that's bullshit, this should be five, I don't care what little niggles you have, mm-hmm. this is an episode firing on all cylinders, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I, I don't, I'm not... I'm guilty of doing that as well. And I'm just curious if you think that that's a thing people do. You know, like when it comes to a Star Wars movie, maybe it's uh, not as... It's it's better than you thought it would be, so people go to bat for it. But if it's almost close to a home run, people really pull out their electron microscopes and really start nitpicking. You know what I mean? Is that a phenomenon that you think happens when people review things? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... I, I don't think it's really that unnatural to do because yeah. uh, <clears throat> it isn't that more frustrating you yeah. know like I, I i don't know i don't know if i if i uh if i would say that things things that are meant to be bad being better because i i think that gets into a gray area of like what is what does that mean meant mean meant to be bad versus meant to be good i think everything everything yeah. people are making is always trying to be good um yeah. but uh yeah i it's I think I think people do that probably because it's that much more frustrating when you get something that's like right on the precipice of yeah. of really knocking out of the park and then they just like they don't stick the landing to some extent. Yeah. Like I for myself, I noticed I was getting really harsh with Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um I loved the first season. I probably give the season season 2 an an A minus. There's more that I love about it than I hate. Mm-hmm. But when I first watched it, I could not stop talking about the things that really bugged me. And if you videotaped me talking about it, it would look like I was on a fanboy rant about <laughs> something I hate. And I don't hate it. I'm just, I just didn't like that one episode. Right. You know, and I had a few other things about it that uh, didn't work for me. But um, I felt like I was being too hard on it. And I don't think that that's fair, even though that's something that we all do from time to time. Well, I mean, I think I think it's a few things. I think you you are 
looking at it probably with, with a bit of an analytical eye as far as storytelling and stuff like that. So if there if it doesn't, as I do as well, um, yep. and many other people do, and so if it doesn't really line up with with your ideas or, or preferences for storytelling, then it's going to be that much more frustrating. Yeah, and also with a show like that, I think, um, and especially with stuff that has um, a longer pedigree, say like a Star Wars or a Batman or something like that, the mm-hmm. longer the characters are around and the more familiar you believe you are with them, mm-hmm. if they don't track to the way you think they should be played, then you're going to get that much more angry about it or that much have that much, yeah. many more problems about it. Um, right, yeah. Like, I have a lot fewer problems well i guess at this point i've been watching star trek for like 5 years but i uh i i i tend to have a lot fewer problems with star trek than a lot of hardcore star trek fans do because mm-hmm. i am not as fluent in the world as a lot of other people are so yeah. when i when i watch an episode of tng uh like the one where beverly crusher falls in love with the candle ghost mm-hmm. i fucking love that episode i think it's great <laughs> Oh God! That's not like everyone's top ten worst. It's vid- it's awesome. I love that episode. It's fantastic because <laughs> oh, it it hits a lot of stuff that I enjoy, and also I like the the fact of how silly it is and how ridiculous it is to put the, an episode like that in a Star Trek show. But but you yeah. know, so like I I am not. Um, and we 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 get into this on our on our Star Trek Discord. We have a lot of people when we talk about. Uh, uh, if you want to join up for the Discord, you can sign up at uh, patreon.com slash Penske file. It gives you all the access to that. But um, we have a lot of the, the talk about specifically, I guess, Star Wars and Star Trek yeah. tends to get, it can get very minute in, in as far as the uh, um, things being pulled out. Like we're in the middle of watching Star Trek Discovery right now, and mm-hmm. someone the other day was 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 going off about the technology on discovery, not matching up with the one on enterprise and, and multiple mm-hmm. people were like, that isn't actually something that happened. And they were like, well, it still bothers me. It's like, Oh, okay. You, you clear, <laughs> you don't like the show. We get it. And now you're going in on why you don't like it. It's fine. You do what you got to do. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think, I think when it's, when it's something, the more personal the property gets, then the more attached you get to it. So if, you yeah. know, if Batman all of a sudden starts pulling out a gun and shooting people, everybody goes, "Well, Batman shouldn't be shooting people with a gun." Yeah, yeah. What um, sparked this was we were talking about uh, Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and I am not a giant Star Wars fan. I love the first, you know, the original movies, mm-hmm. of course, and I will go to bat for Return of the Jedi. I think that speeder scene is one of the best car chases, quote unquote, in cinematic history. Um, other than that, I can take it or leave it. Like, mm-hmm. I was bummed out by the prequels and, you know, the newest movies or whatever. So when Mando came out, I my, my expectations were like, here we go, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was so happy that it was any better, any kinds of better than anything else that has been being put out in the past 10 years. I immediately felt like Mandalorian is the best live action Star Wars since 1983, mm-hmm. period. And I'm I get that it's, lone wolf and cub i get that it's not really doing anything new i get that it's like a samurai serialized um format Mm -hmm. and it's it's shooting to be a strong b plus like it's not trying to be shakespeare you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so for me what what i enjoy about it is that the 
for unlike the movies, the concept art is beholden to the story, not the other way around. And um, overall, I feel like it's doing so many things right that when uh, someone says, oh yeah, they're so episodic, the same, the, the story is the same each time, you know, Mando shows up, he needs a thing, but there's an interruption, and the villagers need his help, and he agrees to help the villagers, and then he gets the thing, and then he moves on to another planet. Like, that's basically every single episode. Sure. I am not arguing with you at all on that. But uh, when people really cracked down on Mando, I was like, really, guys? You know, considering where we were five years ago, can't we just be happy and call this a giant success? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to take that out on you, but it, it definitely... It, it ended up being the thing that I thought about a lot yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the <laughs> that conversation started by me talking about a, a different episode where I thought it was just like even for that show, exceptionally, nothing really happened. Yeah. And then you actually went in on like minute details from the one that came after that, and I was like, "But why is he get putting this on me? He's the one that's breaking I it." I so screwed up. Yeah, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I, not to get into a Mandalorian discussion, but yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. It's uh, yeah. it's I I really enjoy watching it. I just you know, as far as stories go, it I think it leaves a lot to be desired. But you know, it's mm-hmm. I think you're go you're going to that show for the uh, for the spectacle more than you are the story they're telling. Yeah, and take that take that or leave that depending on how you how you feel about it. Yeah, you know, I will say this though. I'm I as much as I enjoy what it is. It better start getting to more things happening soon mm-hmm. because I feel like the serialized Western is fine for a while, but eventually you want to get to the, the, a, the a plot. Mm-hmm. Like what is really going on here? Is Mandalorian going to learn how to use the force a little bit? Is he going to really become this baby's dad? Mm-hmm. And t- You know, like give me something deeper than just a bunch of Westerns in a row. You know? So should we come back to this conversation in like six weeks and see if you've flipped <laughs> on this now? And uh, <laughs> Maybe. and you've gone from, I don't know why people rip into Mandalorian to you ripping into Mandalorian. Is that what we want to do? <laughs> I mean, because I've, I've heard you defend things that are not nearly as good as Mandalorian. Um, but because it has... Like, for example, I think Escape from New York is a great movie, mm-hmm. but it's not Shakespeare. The dialogue is just as stoic and stilted. There's a lot of things that it that don't make sense in it. Sure. Um, I think Mandalorian is better than Escape from New York, <laughs> easily. But I know that you would go to town defending Escape from New York any I, day of the week. Not necessarily. You Escape from New York. Okay. Escape from New York is fine. I, I I don't. That's a really. It's a very specific, <laughs> not a a to a comparison to make. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you named your dog Pliskin, so I yeah, assume that the movie had a place in your heart. It's a good name for a dog. Heart. It does. What's I that? mean, it, yeah. A, it's a great name for a dog, and B, it's <laughs> I, you know, I, a movie does have a place in my heart, but I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't go out on a limb to defend it as you know high art or something. You know, it's Escape from New yeah. York. He goes. Yeah. He's got an eye patch, and he saved the president from a cannibals or whatever. Right, but I just feel like it's just an example of how harsh people can be with something like the Mandalorian, but then you go back to these B movies of the eighties and people hand wave a lot of things that are wrong with them, you know, but suddenly they get all critical when it comes to something new. And that's sort of one of my pet peeves. I'm I'm realizing. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think uh, if we can move this away from this fictional argument that you claim that I have uh, into just that as a concept. um, Yeah. I, you know, people are, people like what they like and it's, and I, and I, I mean that in, they like what they're comfortable with. And it's not always, 
like it, what you're talking about right now is exactly what people who love the last Jedi say mm-hmm. about people who hate the last Jedi. So because the last right. Jedi is moving away from from the stuff that was previously uh, established mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that's moving the story forward. And a lot of people really reacted poorly to that. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of it's not really a, a a right or wrong kind of thing. It's it's really comes down mm-hmm. to what you like. Like I didn't particularly like that movie, but I could yeah totally understand why people did. Right. Um, well, the reason I think this is the reason I brought it up and why I think it's interesting is because we are reviewing Batman and we are critics in this podcast. Sure. We are criticizing things for better or worse. And that's something that I think about is like, I want to be a fair judge. I don't want to uh, stranger things, every single thing mm-hmm. that happens to be 1% wrong, so to speak. Right. You know, like, I want to be fair. Uh, and it's just something that I think about a lot. Well, I think, I, think, I think the key to it is being able to separate things. Like, being critical of something doesn't necessarily mean you don't like it. Yeah. Because... You know, especially with this show, it's a thirty-year-old kids show, which I mean, even yep. though we're going in on it critically, it's still like a B plus or or, yep. or like an A A minus at worst show. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you you can if you can separate that stuff because I even the worst episode of Batman the Animated Series I'm going to enjoy and and put on mm-hmm. from time to time probably. Yeah, but. If you're, you know, part part of the reason that we do these shows, at least for me, is is being able to break it down analytically and look at it structurally and all that kind of stuff, which I don't think is is uh, um, that has to mean the same thing whether or not you did or didn't like it. Yeah, you know. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> did you? Uh, one thing I noticed with this, I'm just going to call it season three. Sure. Is I feel like it has more hits than any other season. If you had to, if I had to go to, I can only bring one season to a desert island. I would bring season three. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of kind of hard not to agree. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you look at season one, there's POV and there's a uh, heart of ice and there's some amazing episodes, but this one has got like at least seven all timers for me anyway. It has like Harlequinade. It has Baby Doll. It's got. Uh, um, I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I'm I, I looked at the list earlier, so I wouldn't forget. And now I'm forgetting all of them. <laughs> the, the, the Bane stuff is covered. Yeah, yeah. Some really great ones in this season. Yeah. And I, 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 when I move on to season four, I remember when I first saw season four on Saturday morning, which is not. I didn't know Batman was on Saturday mornings. I always watched it after school. Mm-hmm. So it was the new branding. It was the Batman and Robin and friends or whatever. Um, and they had the new slick animation style. And at first, I loved it because it was so much more streamlined. But looking back, I don't like it as much because it's too streamlined. Yeah. And I love the chalky, airbrushed backgrounds. Um, even when stuff looks wonky in these first three seasons, it's just it still has more depth to it than anything in season four. Yeah. And my my memory of the uh, of of the the change in style um, makes the whole show feel a little colder to me. Yeah. Because uh, this version was had a lot more, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a lot more acting involved. Like th- mm-hmm. the facial expressions were a lot, you know, uh, uh, a lot more varied. 
the body types were different. There was a lot more different kind of movement involved. But when you change everything, everything gets really sharp and stiff. And, yep. you know, <clears throat> if you go into your character designs, uh, Catwoman doesn't have eyes mm. anymore. The yeah. the Joker gets reduced down to, like, two little black eyes and, you know, that white face and the black lips. Batgirl yeah, also he, he gets her... doesn't have red lips anymore. Yeah, Batgirl yeah. gets her eyes, you know, whited out. Uh, Nightwing yeah. gets his eyes whited out. You you kind of... Tim Drake, his eyes are all whited out. You kind of lose a little bit of that... Of that um, level mm-hmm. of empathy or if that's the word to use yeah but i did like that robin and batman they actually match more yeah in season four yeah they do when you get rid of the green on robin because green just doesn't work with batman when you have batman who's black and white with a bit of yellow for the belt and you have robin who's black white sorry um black, black and red red and a little bit of yellow yeah like it just makes more sense and even when batgirl there she has a little bit of blue on her but not much like they really sort of went all in on the warm color palette with them as a trio. Um, yeah, like she's... Just some really great decisions that they made. She switches to basically black and yellow, I think, for the most part, right? With like a little yeah. highlight of blue on her head, I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think design-wise, that stuff is... it's It looks great. Um, but if, yeah. if you're comparing... I mean, we're talking about these two things as though we're comparing them having watched everything already. But just my <laughs> my memory of it is... It feels colder. The characters yeah. are a little less accessible. Um, yeah. Batman, Bruce Wayne goes from warm Bruce Wayne to basically just Batman without his mask on, which, you know, I don't, uh-huh. I don't really care for. Yep. Um, um, the Batmobile also becomes a rocket rather than like a, uh, a guttural engine sound. Do they change the design of the car? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. The car, the plane. Uh, the plane is more of a jet um, whereas this, the one in seasons one through three is basically the Tim Burton style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's more s- hits than there are misses, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, but yeah, well, I guess we could get more into that when we get into season four. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to, to doing legends of the dark Knight, which is probably my favorite episode of the entire series. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as looking back on, on the show, I was I, as I was, uh, you know, you said the thing about season three, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to disagree. But then I was like scrolling back and looking at them, and I'm like, I don't know, these, they do have so many good, great, uh, at least episodes that stick in my head. Whether or not we gave them fives or whatever at the time, but like I, I'm, mm-hmm. beware of the great ghosts. You got Heart of Ice, um, yeah. the Clayface two parter. You've got the uh, yeah. uh, the two face two parter. Even though we were kind of like you know wishy washy on that, I think right. what they do really POV is in there. POV that's, that's, all, that's all season one, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing first season. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that is better than season three. I can't decide. <laughs> I, it's it's tough because we're coming off of season three, and season three has the most. I'll, let's put it this way: season three, season one is all about introducing characters. Mm-hmm. Season three is all about um, pushing those characters forward in one way or another because all of the all of the villains the the theme of this season ha- seems to be what if the villains decided they wanted to change their lives and right. you don't get that yeah. unless you've got two seasons worth of Two Face episodes or two seasons worth of Riddler episodes you know yeah like I think this season has the most fours and fives I'll say that yeah. 
Um, but then again, season one had two or three bad Joker episodes True. before they started to get it right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I think Joker's favor, I think is the first one where we were like, yeah, yeah that's a great Joker episode. And that was the 22nd episode of season one. Yeah. Almost the, the end of season one yeah. is when they finally got it right. Yeah. And even that, even after that, I think, I think it, it ended up being one of those weird things where it's like Paul Dini seems to get the Joker, but nobody else seems to really get the Joker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. I wonder when he st- started to stand out as the best writer. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it was always designed that way from the beginning. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I guess, looking back on this watch through that, that we've done, have your opinions changed? Um, about episodes compared to what they were when we started, because for me, for me, as I'm looking back, we've we've watched all 85 episodes of this season of this series, hmm. and yeah. some of the ones that I remembered being great aren't so great. Some of the ones that I remember not being so great are actually better than I remembered. But I'm going yeah. back and I'm yeah. looking at this list, and I'm realizing my my opinions or first reactions have not really changed. <laughs> So like, yeah. like you look at Bane, it's like, woo, Bane, yeah, exactly. And you forget that we just gave that like a high three, yeah, or like a lo- <laughs> you, you know? mean like a low three? We did not like. Oh, that. sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like you know, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh yeah, Heart of Ice, love that one. Two Face, oh you gotta love Two Face. Got Batman yep. in my basement. Uh, take it or leave it. Cat and Claw Part One and Two. Uh, I don't really care about those ones. You know, like Gray Ghost, yeah. awesome. Prophecy of yep. Doom. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Prophecy. I, I did budge. I was let down by some I thought I liked, and I and vice versa. Yeah, like I agree yeah. with what you said. But then there are some that are just as bad as I I remember them being. Yeah. Prophecy of Doom being one. The one we mentioned with the three frat boys is still a bad yep. episode. Mm-hmm. Some of the Catwoman. Catwoman getting sick was weird. Yeah, when um, she turns in. Uh, is that the same one where she turns into the tiger? And then there's Tiger Tiger. Oh, it's a different <laughs> one. Oh, that's right. It's different. Yeah. yeah. That to me is the uh, Star Trek TNG with the romance novel. Mm. Sure. <laughs> Change my mind, Clay. I don't want to because I, I love that Star Trek episode and I didn't like the Batman one, so I'm not interested in changing your mind. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I've, I've really enjoyed watching through these because I, I haven't watched through them since they were on tv and there's some that i don't think i even saw then like some of the later ones i think i missed so the uh, um and it's been great to look at them for in a more analytical fashion whether or not we're Mm -hmm. too hard on them or not and i do think the thing that's the most interesting is how overall good the show is it's i don't Mm -hmm. i don't like to say objectively when it comes to this stuff because you know as we already talked about one person's perception of good is not the same as somebody else's perception of good. But this is like, as far as a Batman cartoon goes, this is as objectively good as you're going to get. Like, it's it's hard to watch this. On average, average it's a B plus or an A minus. Yeah. It's hard to watch this and come away going like, eh, they didn't really understand what Batman was about. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I mean, this was the backbone. This is where I learned about Batman. Yeah, I experienced him with Tim Burton, but um, watching this really gave me a sense of the world, which is why I I write White Knight as if it's a spinoff of this. Mm. It's all I know. It's the thing that makes the most sense to me. So, 
you know, it's kind of hard for me to be critical when it's my baby, sure. so to speak. Sure. Yeah. So if I, I think I mentioned this before. Let's say they DC Comics did um, a series where they turned each episode into a one shot, and they had different writers and artists take each episode mm-hmm. as a twenty-two page comic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that would sell, or do you think it would be like a pet project that only creators would care about? Um, that's a tough call. I feel like th- we've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, this yeah. idea came up before. Uh, like as f- as as me as a fan and creator, I think it would be really cool. But I don't. I honestly don't know because it's it's kind of. Uh, uh, I, I would be curious to see how the that uh, Paul Dini book that just came mm-hmm. out the, in the past year the adventures continue how that was doing if there was an appetite mm-hmm. for more batman the animated series stuff but that being said right. the draw yeah. is really today's top creators tackling your favorite episodes mm-hmm. from the show right yeah and each each one would be a, such a different experience like imagine if they gave one of your favorite episodes, one of your least favorite artists. Yeah. You know, yeah. would you buy it? Would you care? Would you be surprised? Would you be delighted? Would you be disappointed? I mean, you know, or a writer that's terrible or who, or sorry, a great writer who takes a shitty episode and makes it better. You know, I think each one would be such a wildly different experiment. And then the other um, caveat I'd have for this idea would be, are you allowed to change the episodes? Right. Like in the comic book format, can you tweak certain things a little bit just to make it different enough where maybe people will want to check it out because it's new? Yeah, I think that you would have to. I think it would have to be yeah. like a like you were adapting a novel almost. Yeah. I tell you, the Christmas for the Joker, man, that's going to need like a total rewrite. But <laughs> <laughs> then the other thing is um, what it would – because um, – Bruce Tim and Paul Dini wrote so much of these. How would they feel about it? You know, let's say that they really liked Christmas with the Joker, and then Brian Azzarello comes in and has Batman has sex with one of the prisoners at the beginning, <laughs> or whatever. Sure, yeah. How would, they, how would they feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it's thirty years ago, so maybe they would they, yeah. they would be just happy to get the residual check. I don't know, but yeah, I would love to bring this up to dc but then i would also say as a caveat i want to take the gray ghost or i want the episode of my choosing because i came up with this yeah. idea <laughs> yeah i think that's probably understood that you could probably be okay with that yeah and then the artists i don't like artists i don't like i would give them the shitty episodes okay okay so in this in this scenario you have total control where, yeah. where it's like you you get to pick the teams for all of these episodes. So if yeah, man, it's just like White Knight. This is how I do things from now yeah. on. Haven't you heard? So you'll pick an episode. Remember th- you'll pick an episode you hate and give it to a team you, of people you really don't like, and then right. you'll end up stewing when they turn that into a fantastic issue of comics, and it actually rockets them past you in career wise. Well, I, I remember I, I didn't name names, but I told you how one time I took very specific revenge <laughs> yes. on an artist I don't like yes. by giving him a great paying gig, by giving him the shittiest cover with a car on it because I know he hates drawing cars. Yeah. And I don't know if he ever knew that I was doing that. Yeah. Or if he thought, hey, that's so generous. Like, man, I thought you and I were in a fight, but I guess I'm wrong because you're offering me gigs. Sure, I'll take the cover. Wait, I have to draw the cover with a car on it? Yeah. <laughs> like, did he figure it out? Um, 
so yeah, in this scenario, I'd be like, all right, here's 10 of the worst episodes ever. Let me see. Let me find 20 of my greatest enemies, 10 writers. See, honestly, so this is where <laughs> this is where you and I differ, because <laughs> if if that were the project, I would come to you and I would specifically want one of those episodes because I don't want to be You're I don't want to be the though. person who has to rewrite Heart of Ice. Are you fucking crazy? I'm not going to expand right. Heart of Ice into a 22-page 20, comic and then have someone come away yeah. going like they completely ruined it. I don't want to. Well, I don't want to have to turn yeah. the Killing Joke into a 90-minute cartoon and then yeah. blow it. Yeah, but you like a challenge, and I feel like you would really love the ch- chance to redo Christmas with the Joker in your own way because I could see you really, you know, pulling out all the stops and trying to find creative ways to make it better you know yeah i think that's where the fun of the project would be for me is because it's taking yeah. taking the ones that are underbaked and really looking at yeah. them see what works see what doesn't and then trying to mold it into something that really works i think would be a lot of yeah. fun it's like uh, imagine that you're into customizing cars if you get a car that's already amazing all you want to do is tweak it a little right. bit. If you get a Ferrari, what are you going to do to Ferrari? Hopefully not much. Maybe you'll make the engine a little better. You'll make the seats a little more comfortable, whatever. But if you get a total piece of shit like a Pontiac Aztec, you're like, you know what? Give me the Pontiac Aztec. I want to redesign that fucking thing. Right. It's just a different type of uh, approach to it. And uh, I guess it depends on which kind of writer you are. Like if, if they gave me Heart of Ice, I would just say, Let's not change anything or let's tweak one or two things. But I'm going to make it very clear that I'm not going to put my fingerprints all over this. I just want to honor the original as much as I can. Right. Whereas you have the Pontiac Aztec episodes, so to speak. <laughs> and you're like, all right, including, let's get out the, flow including chart. <laughs> the one with literal Aztecs in it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I would get LeVar Burton in on that and have him rewrite it because he was uh, one of the voices in that episode. Lavar, where do you see this episode going off the rails? Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's that's the the danger you run into as well because you might you might uh, go okay, you give hard advice to someone expecting them to just sort of like yeah uh, shepherd it along in the form that it's currently in, and what you get back right. is them going, you know, I knew doing hard advice was impossible to, so I just decided to make it my own thing and just completely like yeah. shatter it open. Which yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's is that what you want? Is that what people yeah. want? I don't know. But I feel like this would sell because even if the uh, monthlies didn't sell as well, you would collect each season as a volume. Mm -hmm. So you have season one of the reimagined Batman animated series starring 28 of your favorite creators, Mm -hmm. however many episodes there are. Mm -hmm. And then you would have the absolute edition and then you could have Bruce Timm and Paul Dini do a commentary. And then, I mean, like that kind of thing would be like a collector's item. Um, I could see people spending big money on that stuff we should we should you should specifically get this idea off the ground so you and i can do it do an issue that then gets critiqued by paul dini and bruce tim completing the circle of analytical analysis of batman the animated series when they have their podcast that's we're reviewing sean and clay (laughs) now that's revenge yeah there you go long game long game on that one for them yeah, man, I would love it. I don't know. I mean, especially with comics being in a flux right now. Mm. With, uh, you know, for those who don't know, the industry's hit, you know, with publishing is tricky right now with, um, you know, anything that's not digital. Uh, you know, the distribution, the um, uh, the resources, you know, we need a bunch of dead trees to create paper products. That goes for a lot of different things. So comics is going through that just like any other industry is. 
it tried to go more digital to save itself, but I don't think it really got there, or it's certainly not there yet. Mm-hmm. And some are calling it a comics recession. I mean, of course, that's along with a restaurant recession, a movie recession, sure, sure. I mean, hello, COVID, of course. Um, but, you know, I don't think comics was as prepared for this. Like, they, they sort of knew that they were a dying industry in some ways and were happy to not make any changes for decades. So I think that hit us in the face. Um, so as far as, like, an idea like this coming out now, like, taking a big chance, like, I don't know if that's a good... I'd, I'd need a financial advisor and some people to project some numbers to decide whether or not it actually makes sense now. Because mm. if it was a healthy comic book economy, I could see this taking off. But right now, I think we just need big hits like, you know, Batman Metal or whatever. Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> that one, that's something I would probably say, how are the, like, how does the Injustice comic do? Something that's based off the video game that everybody plays. Is that doing, num- yeah. is that doing numbers that reflect... The number yep. of people who play the game versus the number of people who generally buy comics mm-hmm. is it any bit bigger? Is it any better? Yeah, because um, I think I think what you would need right now, uh, <laughs> as someone who has no insider knowledge whatsoever about how any of this works or what the actual numbers are, it mm-hmm. feels like you need a crossover hit essentially, because I think comics ended up the last thirty years of comics have been comic books becoming harder to find and harder to get yeah um and the digital mm. thing not really not picking up the slack as much as everyone hoped i think mm-hmm. and so i th- what you would need is you would need something where you could bridge that divide where it's like this is going to be something comic book fans pick up this is going to be something that people who are fans of the show pick up this is what something people are going to mm-hmm. you know but which is obviously easier said than done because it's not like it's not like uh, they're not trying to think about that every time they make a comic book. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, I mean, I think the industry gets criticized by a lot, maybe fairly sometimes, as they're not good at marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have professionals who work at Marvel and DC who do this for a living, but they seem to get this reputation. And uh, I don't know, there's different theories about what they're supposed to do about it. You know, are marketers just in charge of protecting the brands and not rocking the boat? Or are they in charge of taking chances and really trying to boost sales? Mm. You know, are they, are they on their back foot all the time or are they on their front foot, so to speak? Um, and the one thing that happened back in the 90s is you had Wizard Comics was a huge resource that was basically free marketing for Marvel and DC. Sure. And I think both companies got lazy and just sort of let image, uh, sorry, Wizard do its thing. And now that Wizard's gone, they never really learned how to do it do it again mm. or at least there's no congealed cohesive plan um so yeah you know one way you could do this idea going back to the animated series comic books mm-hmm. is you could just start off with like five pick the you know marquee episodes out of season one get five different creators sure. to jump on and say all right we're going to do this experiment you know just commit to five you can collect five in a trade after and see how they sell that way you don't have to dive in and say you know we're doing all you know 88 episodes or whatever yeah you don't have to do it like the show where they commissioned 78 episodes <laughs> or whatever off the bat yeah yeah, yeah. and uh to correct something that i said like I, I i said the comics has been a dying industry that's a very political that's a hot topic on youtube right now <laughs> and i really don't want to fuel either side of this I've been jokingly saying that for since I became a professional mm-hmm. um, in 2000. Well, in the 90s, the last I 
who's really a comic collector, I heard that Image was huge and that people like Rob Liefeld were making hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions per issue. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped collecting. I went to college for comic book art. And when I graduated, or as I was nearing the end of graduation, I suddenly realized, oh, there was a big bankruptcy in the 90s. You know, creators are not getting paid what they are now. It's the worst time to be getting into comics. Right. So that's when I started inking, was I thought, well, at least I can get double the rate if I ink myself from now on. So that's kind of what started me down the road, is just mm-hmm. self-preservation. Uh, sorry, this is getting long. Um, and then... Um, I kind of had that sarcastic, like, oh, it's a dying industry. I just had, been, had that in my head for years because it was just, it felt that way, but I was ignorant, so maybe it was healthier than I realized, and it was a way to sort of justify not getting work. You know sure, what I mean? Sure, So I had a lot of ideas in my head that were and weren't true, so I threw around the phrase, it's a dying industry, a lot, and I think that that's sort of what's happening on YouTube a lot right now is people kind of wanted it to die to prove their political point, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it's dying. I think that it's just changing right now. And even if we're cutting back on titles 25%, comics are just so cheap to produce. And there's such a, a re, an inexpensive idea farm for movies mm. and for video games and stuff. Like, I don't want to say that, you know, we are the cheap little weird cousin of all these quote unquote real industries that make millions and millions, but we kind of are. But maybe it's just better if we embrace that. Um, there's another theory floating around out there that comics is going to start not caring what the sales are as long as Disney and AT&T know that the IPs are still in circulation. Mm-hmm. Like, is it cheaper to print flyers of Batman <laughs> that you hand to kids or is it cheaper to, to print comics sure. that have actual stories in them sure. and the kids can pay for them? Like, it's a weird question, but that's one of the many things that's sort of being floated around right now. Yeah, Um Sorry, I flew. A, I threw a whole lot at you right there. No, no, no. Uh, I, it's been in my mind for a while. Sorry. Yeah, I again not 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 being in the know about numbers or anything like that. My my outlook is that yeah, it's changing. It's not dying. It's changing because I think if you look at what's happening outside of just Marvel and DC as far as creator owned yeah. stuff and crowdfunded stuff I, I know this is a this is also a, a hot topic that we don't need to get into right now but like that Keanu Reeves comic that boom is doing made like yeah. three million dollars on Kickstarter or something like that so it's not like the yeah it's not like people aren't out there yeah I think it's just the avenues with which they're going are not necessarily uh, the, the the traditional ones and I mean it's not like Kickstarter is a new thing it's been around for like 10 years yeah <clears throat> but um I think there might need to be just a little bit more fluidity as far as how people get their comics because yeah. it seems like that's what people want is there's yeah. they want the option to buy Batman or they want the option to get something new and kind of cool on Kickstarter. They want the option to get something new and kind of cool on it from Image or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I don't love the idea that comics just becomes a cynical IP farm. Right. Um, unless unless the payment that people are getting is reflective of that, <laughs> like if if they yeah. if 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 you get if you go come over to DC and you get uh, a huge paycheck because this is something they're backlogging for fifteen years from now when they need a new Batman story to make into a movie. Mm-hmm. Fine, whatever. If I but if it's if that's what they're doing, but they're paying you 
you know, fifteen dollars a page or whatever. It's not not that I'm saying that's yeah. what they do. I'm just saying as an example. Right, right, right. That's when it gets yeah. a little dicey. When you've got these some companies that do like these back end deals where it's like, Well, we can't pay you now, we'll pay you half and half and all they're doing but part of that deal mm-hmm. is well, you're going to give us the, the, the rights, the option rights for stuff. It's like, well, all right. Yeah. I, I see where this is going, and this is not why I'm doing this. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question to break down into multiple categories. If you ask, are comics dying? Let's, let's, let's tease that out a bit. If you love action figures based on comics, mm-hmm. then you are the happiest you've ever sure. been right now, right? Yeah. If you like video games based on comics, movies, you're the happiest you've ever been. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a Superman fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, side joke. It's been a while. Um, if if you like independent comics and creators doing what they want and owning it and not having to deal with a publisher, if you like Kickstarter and all that, it is the best time ever. Yeah. If, if you like the early 90s where X-Men was huge and you had companies <clears throat> really getting behind a few main titles that then trickled down from there, uh, you are not having a good time right now. Mm-hmm. Um Things are not gelled as cohesively as that. It is. It does seem a little all over the place. They are trying to get their footing. Um, so if you like going into comic book shops, if you like comic book culture, if you're a big fan of Big Bang Theory and going to conventions, it's the best time ever yeah. to be into comics. Yeah. You know, like, like we joke around. We have friends who get laid because they they tell people that they work for Marvel. Like for me, that used to I used to hide that shit because sure. when I was dating, I didn't want people knowing I was into comics. It made me a nerd, <laughs> you know. But now it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've I've uh, I, I've probably said before how mind bending it is when I go to like a family event and uh, mine or my girlfriend's little cousin, who like she has a cousin who's like uh, at the time when this happened the first time she was like thirteen, so she's this thirteen yeah. year old girl who's telling me about the infinity gauntlet and i'm it, my, my brain is cracking open because i'm like i could not tell yeah. anybody about this stuff when i was your age yeah. because i would be laughed out of school and now it's like <laughs> the cool I, thing to know yeah or like when my grandma has opinions on deadpool yeah. too. Like, what <laughs> world am i living in i would love to be there for that conversation that would be pretty fun <laughs> um yeah it's you know, there there is this tide that has turned in the industry, I think, and I don't think most people have realized it yet, but it coincides with a few things hitting the fan all at once. COVID being a big one, mm-hmm. the lack of movement on figuring out a digital distribution system that's lucrative and fair. You know, they did this in Japan, but U.S. is 10 years behind yeah. with no interest of trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. So there's, those are two things right there. COVID, lack of digital plan. You know, hanging on to the past, kicking and screaming every time you have to make upgrades. Like, that generally feels like what comics is. And then you had a slew of, like, sexual misconduct allegations in the past year. Um, people getting called out for behavior at conventions. Mm-hmm. You know, the comics community, it shows, tends to get very drunk and flirty and do things that you wouldn't normally see in other uh other industries i'm sure that it happens everywhere of course it happens everywhere especially in entertainment but comics really wears its immaturity on its sleeve sometimes Mm -hmm. and that is being fully exposed on twitter between freelancers who work for giant corporations now who are starting to pay attention you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so if you have a giant writer that's been accused of xyz and he wrote something huge in the 80s you're about to turn into a movie as an executive, that makes you worried, you know? Right. 
So I think that this big cleanup is going to start to happen, for better or worse. You know, some people love that comics is sort of a free-for-all yard sale. Some people hate that it's not more professional. Right, right. <laughs> and you know, I don't know who's right. I guess they're both right and wrong in different ways. Um, and then you have, um, you know, Marvel was bought by uh, Disney 10 years ago now. But only now, again, because of COVID, are they really putting everything together with things like Disney Plus and trying to figure out the best way to make as much money off of Marvel and Lego and Star Wars as they can. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, DC doing the same thing. You know, AT&T has owned the company for three years now, but they really started making their presence known in the past six months. And um, there's been two rounds of layoffs because they have, um, you know, positions that are redundant, which is just something that all companies do when you acquire other assets. It just, it happens. Mm -hmm. And Marvel's doing the same thing, but they're doing it much quietly, more quietly right now and kind of off the radar. So you have all these, these six different things that are happening in comics all within the same year. Um, the d idea of DC just being a publisher who answers to no one, that is over. Mm -hmm. And it's over with Marvel. Like comics has basically been run the same since 1942 10 years ago and then things started changing and now we're starting to see the new comic book companies and they are part of giant corporations and you're going to start to see them try to tie in brand cohesion mm -hmm. so is it going to feel like mom and pop anymore probably not is it going to feel like evil corporations and suits are running things probably yeah um will it be more lucrative hopefully yeah will creators get <laughs> screwed out of things more and more maybe yeah <laughs> Well, you have more action figures, definitely. You know, hey, win for everybody. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm really not stating any of my opinions here. I'm sort of trying to state the facts as I see them. So I, I really beg to differ on anybody that accuses me of putting my own slight on this. I feel like what I'm saying is pretty undeniable, but no one wants to admit it. <laughs> I guess we'll see in the comments section. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think it's going to be interesting moving forward. You know, you, you mentioned brand cohesion. And uh, this, wow, this uh, recap of Batman the Animated Series really turned into a weird conversation about uh, I love it, man. Numbers. This is my favorite podcast yeah. that we do. <laughs> I know that you like to stick to the format, but I... No, oh, I'm I... Sorry. No, it's, that, it's not that at all. I just think it's funny how we... How, how sometimes we can go very much off the rails and sometimes not. It's, it's part of the fun. We haven't even gotten into John Wayne yet. No, no. Next time. <laughs> Um, but like honestly, I, I, I guess that means something different to everybody potentially. But I kind of, yeah. kind of wish there was a little bit more brand cohesion in terms mm -hmm. of. I've said this before, you know, when you've got someone who's watching a show on TV, and then they go in to buy a comic in the store, and the comic that says The Flash mm -hmm. features none of the characters from the TV show. They're yeah. going to go, uh, I don't know what this is, and they're going to leave. And maybe that's cynical and, and too business-minded yeah. uh, of me to say, but I think on a certain yeah. level, that option has to be there, you know? Otherwise, what's the point? Because, yeah. like, I, I think there's room for both. Like, I loved it when, when Marvel did the Ultimate Universe because yeah. then they were running two simultaneous things for everybody. You had the people who were who loved the continuity from the past 40 years or whatever, and then you've got people who want to see a new take on stuff, and you you got both sets of people. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm kind of surprised there's not more of that going on where it's like, you know, here's here's the characters who are who are in uh, these big Marvel movies, 
and this and here they are as they're portrayed yeah. or here's here's the characters who are in the uh the the big dc movies or the dc shows and here they yeah. are portrayed in that form in the comic as well you've also got other stuff for i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is if you've got like seven eight different spider-man books you can mm-hmm. take one of those spider-man books and have it skew more towards what you're doing in other venues i guess w- yeah. without it being yeah. without it being like a hard uh a hard adaptation where I'm not saying like it has to be this is the Spider-Man comic based on the video game because I tend not mm-hmm. to like it when they do that stuff. But that yeah. doesn't mean you can't have a Spider-Man comic that features the Spider-Man characters who are featured in the game, who are in the movie. You know, I I, I think right, maybe yeah. maybe it's probably a lot more difficult than I'm, I think it is in my head to do this because it usually yeah. is. But Well, I I do feel that the one hand is not talking to the other a lot in comics. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes marketing doesn't know what um, <clears throat> some of the books are doing. I think the editors aren't sure what some of the writers are doing. I think this happens when you're underpaid and overworked. I think these editors are stressed the fuck out. And of course, this stuff's going to slip through. So I'm, not, I'm really not blaming anybody. But if comics turns into an, an, an eight-armed beast where you've got one hand is toys, one hand is action figures, one hand, sorry, one hand is video games, one hand is movies, one hand is comics, one hand is merchandise, and none of the hands are talking to each other, mm. that's not helpful. Right. So I, I am, and if, if I'm not necessarily a fan of the suits, so to speak, right. but if the suits, with their funding and their degrees and their experts, can get these hands talking to each other and make a more stable industry, I am all for that. Yeah. Whether or not they pull that off is anyone's guess, but I, I feel like that's kind of what both companies are trying to do right now, and I think it's probably about time. Yeah. Um, so when I mentioned, um, so uh, for White Knight, sorry, for Harley White Knight, um, I released a cover recently that has Jason Todd on it wearing the Red Hood costume, um, and it's kind of a tease because I'm going to be setting him up for volume three of uh, White Knight, which I'm going to be starting in the winter at some point. Um this hasn't been announced yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm able to talk about it. Um, are we break, are we breaking news on this show? N- never. Keep in mind, you know, keep I, in I, mind, I, this show is going to come <laughs> out the second week of January, so it might already be up. By right. You know, I've leaked so much that they've never caught. It's because yeah. I ramble on too long, and it's just hard to nail down. So if I tweet something, then they're going to see it. Right, if I right, say right. it in a 90 minute, there's no way they're going. So, um. When I do Volume 3, I am going to feature um, Jason Todd in it. And Volume 3 also has Batman Beyond in it. I believe that um, there's talks of doing a Batman Beyond video game in the style of Arkham Knights. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's just some rumor or whatever. Um, but then I heard that the producers or developers of this game wanted to talk to me and ask me what I had in mind. Because they were already thinking Red Hood, Batman Beyond. And here I am sort of accidentally stumbling on the same idea. Mm-hmm. And these developers aren't always writers. They're probably curious what I'm going to do or what anyone's going to do. So I'm glad that they are that they want to get on the phone and talk and see what's what's possible. I don't think that the you know games are going to be White Knight games. Obviously not. But if they can say, hey, if you really like that thing that happened with Jason Todd and Batman Volume Three, you might like this new game because we touch on some of those things. It's not the same world, mm-hmm. but you know we we sort of follow the same threads. That's the kind of brand cohesion. That I think makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And if you can tie it in with action figures and you know uh, custom 
costumes within the game itself, downloadable content, whatever it is. Awesome. All that stuff sounds great, and I'm glad that they're trying to make it all congeal at this point. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think I think what I'm talking about is something similar because it's like if you look at Batman the animated series, they had uh, Batman Returns was coming out in 1992, right? Yeah. They had the forethought to go to Batman the Animated Series and go, all right, so we're going to do this cartoon. <laughs> yeah. We're going to base it heavily off of this movie. We're going to use the same kind of soundtrack. We got this movie coming out pretty soon yeah. that has Catwoman and the Penguin in it. Yeah. Do you think we can get some Penguin stuff in there yeah. and some Catwoman stuff in there and kind of skew it kind of towards what we're doing? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So you got a Penguin design that looks exactly like the Penguin from mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. He's not... He's not bound by what's happening in in Batman Returns, but yeah. there is some timing there. Yeah. So it's like, and I, I, I uh, I, you're I, right. I, I use this example. They did it really well back then around this yeah. animated series. That's a good point. And I, I use this example. I think I, I thought of it uh, as independently, but then I heard Neil Adams say it, and I was like, oh, good, somebody else thought about this. When, when they came out with the Green Lantern movie ten years ago, right? Mm-hmm. They used Hal Jordan, who, as far as comic book people are concerned, is the is the Green Lantern that everybody thinks of. Right. But they forgot that everybody who was who was familiar in pop culture outside of comics with Green Lantern mm-hmm. knew Green Lantern through the Justice League cartoon show, right. which was John Stewart. Right. So they made this big budget movie featuring a character people knew, but it wasn't the character they they knew mm-hmm. from the thing they knew. So there was this disconnect there, so nobody went to see it. It didn't help that the movie wasn't very good. Yeah. You know what I mean. It's the same kind of idea where it's like, I'm not saying you got to do comics that are adaptations of the video games that are coming out, but it's like, yeah. oh, we got a video game coming out or a movie coming out that features this character. Yeah. Can we do six issues featuring this character for the next six months? Yeah. No, the, the rollout for it was great because you had the 89 movie. You had the sequel, which spawned this cartoon. This cartoon spawned. 25 years of merchandise and new storylines and new characters like Jon Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Batman the Animated Series was a hit, they had the foresight to put it into comic books. They knew Montoya was going to be a character. They actually put her in a comic before the episode Montoya came out. It created Harley Quinn, and we all know what happened mm-hmm. with that. Um, mm-hmm. You've got toys that came out, which were not crappy toys. They were decent toys, and they were easy to find. Walmart, whatever, like, you had the underwear, you had the shirts spinoff movies and then you know this series was so popular that they ended up doing superman and then they ended up doing green lantern which this which that it's really is amazing how you can draw back to 1989's tim burton it blew up this entire thing that's employed thousands of people and entertained us for a, a generation and a half based on one movie because if this cartoon wasn't a hit you would not have seen the superman yeah. follow-up you would not then get to john stewart as Green Lantern. You know what I mean? I don't know if you'd get the Spider-Man and X-Men co- uh, cartoons in the 90s either. Yeah. Or the Gargoyles. <laughs> sure. Yeah, or Gargoyles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. And I feel like the Tim Burton legacy lasted up through Bruce Tim to the toys, to the spinoff, to Justice League, to, you know, Black Green Lantern. And it really went up until even like the Schumacher movies weren't enough to knock it out of the zeitgeist you know well if you want to see exactly how how uh entrenched in the zeitgeist the Burton Batman is Danny Elfman's score from the Justice League movie uses elements from his Batman theme 
Mm. in the scenes with he uses uh he uses his batman theme and he also uses john williams superman score oh man at cert at certain points yeah in the justice league movie which uh i was really excited about until i saw the movie but yeah. that's a different that's a different conversation yeah. um yeah, it's but you know it, and, and his his reason for that yeah. when they asked him about it they're like well are you gonna write new music for batman he's like no <laughs> batman has a theme <laughs> Superman has a theme. I'm going to use those themes because that's what Superman is and that's what Batman is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is interesting that like the era of Tim Burton, you could argue, lasts for all the reasons that we talked about from 1989 up until Chris Nolan. Because Nolan, mm-hmm. Schumacher wasn't enough to shake. Burton's, Burton's the, um, legacy was going too strong for Schumacher to give us a new version of this. They tried to do games of the Schumacher movies. They tried to do action figures. It was all just bad. So then we Mm -hmm. sort of tripped along until we get to Chris Nolan. And that was the first time that the button had actually been reset in a significant way. It was after that that the games suddenly started looking more like Batman Begins with Arkham Asylum and Mm -hmm. all that. Things became dark and gritty and street level and blah, blah, blah. So you have like the Burton era, which lasted more than 30 years. The Schumacher era was never an era. You have the Chris Nolan movies, which you could argue were still in that era unless they come up with a giant clear hit that takes it in a new direction. And I would argue that the Zack Snyder stuff wasn't the clear springboard that they hoped it would be. Right, But it's maybe too soon to tell. Yeah. And even in the Nolan movies, there are a lot of callbacks, intentional, or I have to imagine they're intentional because some of them are extremely specific, to some of the... uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of the 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 Burton Batman movies, like there's multiple scenes in Bat in Dark Knight Rises between Bruce Wayne and uh, Catwoman uh-huh. that are kind of direct lifts out of Batman Returns, like them at the party and stuff. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of similarity across huh. those movies to to certain elements of the of the the Burton stuff. So it's not. Yeah, it's always it's always there. It's never it never quite falls away. Yeah, I never noticed that, but I think you're right. Yeah. I, I'll be interested to see moving forward yeah. what happens with the Matt Reeves Batman, if that maybe changes everything. Yeah. I don't know. I was going there, too. If, if this... Yeah. If, I think the Joker movie is a big clue, too. Mm-hmm. If they are able to keep the Joker surprise hit going and somehow tie it to the... If, it, if it's successful, the Matt Reeves version somehow and... Mm-hmm. St- patch those things together and then let them take off. You could have a new era starting and then we'll look back yeah. and be like, well, was the Zack Snyder era ever an era or was it this weird time in between Chris Nolan and Matt Reeves? Yeah. Yeah. Not to give Matt Reeves I, credit I th- for Joker, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Or for a movie that hasn't come out yet. Yeah. But, that too. <laughs> um, I, I wonder, I wonder how much you can, you, how much of a through line you can dry, uh, you can draw from Burton till now based solely on the cars because <laughs> he defined he defined the batmobile for a generation in yeah. 1989 right even yeah the schumacher batmobiles are are kind of riffs on on the the burton batmobile yeah the zack snyder batmobile is sort of like the ultimate version of that even the chris nolan batmobile has <laughs> it's not as car like obviously it's more like a tank but there is yeah. a element of of heightened design that goes into it that this new Matt Reeves Batmobile is very much like it's a car with a rocket on the back of yeah, it. Yeah, Matt Reeves it's, looks like Adam West in some ways. 
<clears throat> it, yeah, it's just yeah. a basic car with some bat stuff on it and boom we're ready to go you know yeah yeah <clears throat> so i don't know maybe that'll be the where the where the hard break happens we'll, we'll have to see <laughs> yeah I, I think the you know, um Zack snyder batmobile is a mix of the tumbler and uh the burton type stuff yeah yeah um yeah, I, I, it's funny. That was the one Batmobile I didn't throw into White Knight just because I wasn't as familiar with it. I don't think I'd seen all the movies at the point yet, and it just didn't really ring true to me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they thought it was like a political comment on Zack Snyder, and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> everything everything a writer writes or draws is always a political comment, Sean. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Well, I got to say, we filled out 90 minutes pretty well. I'm surprised we've done yeah, so much sure to talk did. about. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, this is might be one of the longest episodes we've ever done, actually. But <laughs> apparently, we've had a lot in our mind. <laughs> I know. I well, you know, we haven't really talked to each other outside of this show in eight months. So that's true. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going anyway. back to doing these face to face. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's all. It's always. It's always more fun to be able to do these when you can see the other person. If one of us gets the vaccine, does that mean the other person can hang out with that person regardless of who's sick? <laughs> oh, I think so. I think once you get the vac- vaccine, you're basically invincible. So yeah. Okay. So even if one of yeah. us gets it and the other doesn't, we can still hang out. Yeah, and like if I, you know, if I get the vaccine and then you're going to get hit by a car, <laughs> if I push you out of the way, I get hit by the car, I'm fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Top to bottom. That's, that's what I was getting at. And yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If I if I've learned anything from 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 comics, it's that uh taking an experimental serum always goes well. So <laughs> That's true. There is that. That that in itself, that in itself was a joke. It was not a political statement about vaccines. No, I wonder if this is going to be the beginning of uh, a zombie crisis when these vaccines start turning us, melting us our our faces, well, or whatever. Not to not to go longer than we already have, but on uh, Rotten Horror Picture Show, we recently just did the movie Wreck. It's a, a, a Spanish zombie movie. You know, quote it's like a zombie movie. The way Twenty Eight Days Later is a zombie movie. Uh-huh. Um, from 2009 it's like a handheld camera found footage kind of thing and uh, neither Amanda or I really liked it and it's it's known as one of like the best horror movies or zombie movies from from the mid 2000s and one of my theories about why we didn't like it or at least why I didn't like it is because I've spent the last eight months watching what a mishandled pandemic looks like mm. so seeing a movie about a bunch of idiots reacting poorly to a pandemic and not following guidelines given to them by the people who seem to kind of know what's going on. Yeah. I, I just didn't have time for it. I was just like, I, I've, I've, I'm siding with the shadowy hazmat suit guys on this one. Lock the building down, take care of this and make sure it doesn't spread. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not on the side of the person uh, who's, who's stuck in the building. Yeah. And I was wondering whether or not that is going to kind of effectively kill this genre mm-hmm. of zombies and outbreak stuff. Cause it's like, after we've kind of lived through it, it's like, well, yeah. I don't really know if this is something I want to see anymore. Is it going to kill it or does it make it stronger? I don't know. How many more walking dead spinoffs can we tolerate? I and mean, there's gotta be three now. Yeah. They just started a new show. I think it's fairly am- recently. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Are we all sick of this yet? Or do we really want our fiction to be, uh, heightened versions of our own scary reality anymore yeah i'm kind of hoping i'm kind of hoping sci-fi future fiction takes a swing back towards the optimistic because i feel like uh it's been dystopic for so long and now having lived through what i can only describe as a dystopia 
Uh, I yeah. think it's time to maybe swing back towards Star Trek than <laughs> than Mad Max. Yeah, you know? real Star Trek, not Discovery. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my friend Derek listens to your Star Trek season three podcast for Discovery. Oh, excellent! He does not watch the show. Sure. He could not watch it anymore. But he'd rather watch <laughs> listen to you guys talk about it, so he doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Derek. <laughs> cool. Uh, so the next big Batman thing we're going to be reviewing is uh, that made-for-TV movie. Deep Freeze? Yes, uh, Sub-Zero. Sub- oh, sorry, yes. I always do that. We're going to do, uh, I think we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do Sub-Zero, and uh, we'll do a Q&A thing as well if, if uh, people want to send in yeah. questions. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Dead Meat Co- Oh, I guess you'd send it to the Badass one. So you can send it on Twitter, questions, uh, at Badass Podcast on Twitter. Uh, should we give them a hashtag? I don't know. Just uh, just send me a question. I'll find it. Yeah. I'll uh, have my assistant. Po- uh, I quit Twitter, so I'll have Jeff uh, tweet for me and see if we can get people that way. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we'll answer some questions and shoot the shit about Sub-Zero and maybe talk about Batman video games or something. Some other stuff <laughs> I didn't about. know you were so ill-prepared to talk about that subject. <laughs> well, no. it's I When we, we, we had discussed maybe talking about that in this episode, and I, I thought about it, and I was like, well, I don't really know. I've played the new stuff. It ended up, interestingly enough, shaking out that you had played all the old stuff and I had played all the new stuff yeah. and we didn't really cross over that much. Yeah, well, I've so, put on some YouTube videos too about the best Batman games for computers or mm-hmm. their best Batman video games ever. And there aren't a lot of videos that really, like I was looking for a documentary on it. Um, oh, sure. And there's less than I thought there were. Um, like the first Batman game came out in 1986. Ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Never an Atari game. Like, Superman was in Atari and Coleco, and, you know, he had all kinds of stuff. But Batman, it was relatively late. And then, of course, Tim Burton kicked off a bunch more. And, uh, sure. Yeah, it's, I like the deep... I, mean, I haven't played a lot of them. I have, like, five that I really love that I could talk about. But I don't know anything about mm-hmm. Arkham Asylum or, or that stuff. So I was going to suggest you watch one of those mini documentaries, too, and just we could just spitball and see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I'd be interested in doing that. I, <laughs> I love that shit. Cool. So yeah, maybe we'll talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it. We've wrapped Batman the Animated Series in its original form. Woo-hoo. Uh We will be coming back with Sub-Zero, and then after Sub-Zero, we will be going into quote-unquote season four. Um, I've been on the fence about redoing an intro. Uh, I think I'm too lazy and or busy to do it. Don't. But <laughs> it's okay, man. Don't. I, yeah, I'll just I'll keep it the same. But uh, thank you thank you guys for listening all, all the way through this. Um if you'd uh, like to leave us a rating review on iTunes, that would be great. You hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, that would be awesome, too. And we'll be back soon with Sub-Zero. Thanks, guys. I think we're dying.